I'm getting bored just typing all this up. More concerningly, it looks like the filmmakers themselves were bored putting it on screen. Great blur, Bill Jabiri, who's actually Ty Burr's favorite film critic. He writes for New York Magazine slash Vulture, an outstanding review, rather succinct, of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, our feature review this week as far as new movies are concerned. A couple others as well. I'd mentioned to Mark Ellis last week that I was searching for these documentaries. A big time shout out to Dan Skip Allen, who follows me on Instagram, who is a film critic and goes, I'll hook you up. So he sent me links for All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is not available yet on HBO Max, and A House Made of Splinters, both of those documentaries now available relatively soon. House Made of Splinters is in theaters this Friday. As I mentioned, uh, all the beauty in the bloodshed, HBO Max, sometime in March. But I got to see both of those, so I've now seen all the Oscar-nominated documentaries. Thrilled about that. And as far as the old movie is concerned, I wanted to go way back, just because Valentine's Day last week, I didn't want to do it on the Valentine's Day edition, because then there's these Valentine's Day people who get mad when you crap on Valentine's Day. So I waited a week, and we're doing War of the Roses, which is one of the great black comedies of all time, the anti-Valentine's Day movie. A married couple trying everything to drive each other out of the house in a vicious divorce battle. Directed by the great Danny DeVito, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, and the good news is Cody saw it, or at least yeah. much of it, because you, you texted it. me about this. All right, most, most of it. Yeah. Well, the ending, you're in, you're in for a finale. Maybe you'll watch it. You'll pull the move you did with Blonde. You were watching it while we were doing the pod. Maybe you'll watch where the rose is now. <laughs> you'll be caught up by the end once we get to it. But Obviously, good to have you all with us here on Cinephile. As always, go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. I appreciate all your comments there. Um, one person wrote recently, what do you think of Blood In, Blood Out? I've actually never seen it. I'm aware of it. I know famous gangster film way back in the day. Mexican Gangs, if I'm not mistaken. Never seen it. Somebody else mentioned, you mentioned Mark Rylance for Bones and All. By the way, he was nominated for Independent Spirit Award, which is awesome. Those awards are coming up March 4th. I thought his performance in The Outfit was a true masterclass in acting. Love to hear your thoughts on the pod. Yeah, love that performance. He was excellent in that movie. Small little movie. Looks like it cost about like literally $1.2 million, but he was terrific in it. Lead role, which normally he doesn't get. Normally he's a supporting actor. So yes, The Outfit was very good. Got this one from DBlack519. John Williams has to be my all-time favorite movie composer. I was listening to the Fableman soundtrack. Your thoughts on great movie composers? Listen, Williams head of the class. He's won like 43 Oscars. It's something insane. Spielberg's long-term guy. You're not going to go wrong with John Williams. He's won how many Oscars? I think he's won like 43 Oscars. Jesus. Yeah, maybe not. That's right. Hang on, hang on. 43 nominations. (laughs) 43 Oscars would be a little bit outrageous. Yeah, I think he's been nominated 43 times, which is still outrageous. I mean, literally any movie the guy does, he's composing, he gets it done. But I'm a big uh, Ennio Morricone fan, if you're curious of my movie composers. And of course, I love... uh, I mean, some of the old, Bernard Herrmann is unbelievable. The Taxi Driver soundtrack, of course, uh, a lot of Hitchcock films, all those as well. So yeah, there's a couple of uh, reviews there. Uh, also, somebody was saying, Chris watching and reviewing Jeannie Dealman before adding in his content this world needs. That was the three-hour, 20-minute French film, which is available right now on HBO Max. So Sight & Sound, for those, again, who have not heard the podcast, Sight & Sound does this list of the best movies of all time. They named that film the best movie of all time. Never even had heard of it. So I watched an hour 20 it was so bad. I, I couldn't get through the final two hours. So if, if I make Cody watch that, he'll resign from Cinephile. There, there's no way he's going to put yourself through that. Jeannie Dealman, three hours and 20 minutes, got through an hour 20. Maybe someday I'll get through the final two hours. But yeah, it was not worth it. So thank you. For he, the uh, he's won five. Yeah, but look at his nominations. 57 nominations. 57 nominations. It, they're numbered here. 57 nominations, five wins. He won for Schindler's List. He won for E.T. He won for Star Wars. He won for Jaws. And he won for Fiddler on the Roof. Legend. Although, again, we want to go to the batting average. Five for 50. <laughs> That's where he's struggling. Um, on a somber note, the great Barry Sachs passed away a little over a week ago. Longtime ESPN producer. I've seen all the great tributes people have put out there. My buddy EJ Raddick, NHL That was on Super Bowl called. Sunday, right? It seemed. Yeah, so he had a heart attack on Saturday, which a bunch of us were texting about. And then on Sunday, he eventually passed away. So I, 
It's just a horrible, horrible situation, and we're going to have a taste of berry night at some point, I think in March. We're hoping maybe like the first Thursday of March Madness because he was, he was just a, such a sports lover. But he was a larger-than-life character and just a lovely guy, and I miss him dearly. The, um, the last text he had sent me, he, he, he messaged me yeah, every couple of weeks, just always want to talk movies. Ironically, for those who are fans of Cinephile, the last text that he sent me, which of course I will save and treasure forever, was about you people. So that's, that's the last message we're going to have from the great Barry Sachs. Legendary sports fan, worked at ESPN 33 years. He's on the Mount Rushmore of good people all the time. And his last message he wanted to say, by the way, always supportive of other people till the end. Sunday, February 5th, doing an awesome job on NHL Network, cool, collected, informative, entertaining, always an enjoyable watch. Also, I saw you people last night. Enjoyed it. Great cast. Controversial, but fun. Love mm. to the family. So, B. Sachs. You people, that's his, that's his fitting finale in the world of movies and sports. Love, B, and like I said, uh, we'll have a tribute to him, all the ESPN folks, at some point soon. Dick Vitale, by the way, breaking the news. If I die before you, Chris, and I'm sure I will, please don't, don't have Dick Vitale tweet the news because Dick did it, and he had a bunch of like emojis. I, I guess if you want to break the news, that's fine. Adnan Burke's dead, but just don't put a bunch of emojis. Don't put yeah, like a heart emoji, a thumbs up. Just, hey, Adnan was a good guy. He's dead. You got hit by a bus. Like, whatever. Pray See, these, some older people... They've gotten, they've gotten, to, they learned of these emojis and they're not really, you know, they got to read the room better. Some of these old people with emojis. Time and place. Okay. I know Dick's place. Dick's heart was in the right place. I know Dick's place was in the right place too. A couple others for Dick's you. Dick's place was in the right heart. Yeah. <laughs> Raquel Welch passed away. 82 year old, famous, buxom bombshell. And the best you're going to hear about her, the great Keith Oberman. Again, I, I can't do it as, as good justice as Keith. You can listen to his podcast. It's called Countdown. It's brilliant. But as he started this story, he goes, well, this is probably not inappropriate for, for an obit, but what the hell? Peter Cook, who was a very, very funny guy, him and Dudley Moore in a movie with Raquel Welch. They're not sure what to name the title of the movie. So Peter Cook says, we should call the movie Raquel Welch. And the studio head's like, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. He goes, no, because that way the marquee is going to say Peter Cook and Dudley Moore in Raquel Welch. Oh, God. <laughs> More than just a buxom, bodacious blonde, but yeah, she, uh, brunette, she was known for that, among other things. Raquel Welch, gone at the age of 82. And what, again, personally hurts me, the great Richard Belzer. I have a homicide, Life on the Street, one of my favorite shows all time, especially as far as dramatic series are concerned. All these people always raving about The Wire. David Simon wrote the book Homicide, which was then adapted into a TV show by Tom Fontana and Barry Levinson, and in many ways that laid the groundwork for The Wire, which is also a Baltimore-set show. Of course, that focuses more on the, the drug trade and has a different major theme each season, but Homicide was about the homicide division. And Richard Belzer, who just passed away at the age of 78, was amazing as Detective Munch. Had those dark rim glasses, just that... I, honestly, it's, it's just a tough face to describe, but just a face that was very recognizable, sardonic wit, very funny, known for doing a lot of stand-up comedy in the 80s, um, but on Homicide, you know, Fontana and Levinson gave him the role of a lifetime. Him and Ned Beatty together was just such comic genius, such a great odd couple, Bolander and Munch, and of course, many of you know him from Law & Order. He then played the role of Munch on Law & Order SVU. I think, he, again, we can Google this, I think he played the character of Munch for something like 27 years on television. Like, it's amazing. One actor can do one role, but so much of it was better and Munch. So I will be watching some Homicide Life on the Street this week in honor of Munch. Before we get to the movie talk, Chris Cody is back from Utah. I want to story a hysterical video. By the way, $5 fine on Dan. I forgot to mention last week when he mentioned Sandman, he goes, Chris Cody was busy doing Cinephobe with Adnan Verk. I'm like, that, that's did. a fine on Levitard. Like, yes. I, I, and it's one of those things that I didn't notice that until like when we were in it, I didn't hear it. I, I, I like listened back and I was like, oh. Yeah. 
I know. It happens. I mean, listen, I was on Richard Deitch's podcast last week. He had me and Adam Amin on again. I'm like, I, I don't understand why. He goes, well, I want you guys to talk Super Bowl. I'm like, we were just on your podcast like two months ago. I'm like, I don't understand. So now it's, like a, it's a duo, me and Amin going on Deitch's podcast. And in that podcast, at the beginning, he says, MLB Network, NHL Network, Cinephile Podcast, which is distributed by Cadence 13. I'm like, no, that hasn't been the case for a year and a half. <laughs> We've we, we been with Meadowlark for a year and a half now, Rich. Like, like, I, I, but I, I heard it, didn't want to clean him up. I just kind of let it go. I was also on Rosillo's podcast last week. Rosillo is even cagier. He doesn't know, so he just leaves it to me. He just goes, all right, promote all your stuff at the end. So he just lets me go through each thing. He's like, That's I'm not honestly the heady play. That's yeah. honestly the heady play. Just, hey, Bert, what do you, you want to promote? Go ahead. You right. got the floor. So if you want to hear me and Rosillo <laughs> talk about the whale, you can listen to Ryan Rosillo's podcast, which is available through The Ringer. Back to Utah. So the video that was great of Cody... Billy, I'm not sure if Royce in there too, Mike Ryan. It's just a video of you guys looking morose and despondent, and Mike has on his phone says, we're in hell. <laughs> hell, please. That this was, was your uh, experience at New Billy York. wasn't on that trip. That was Tony that you saw in Tony that video, but that was honestly us playing it up. Look, I, we've been crushing Salt Lake City. Like, the whole bit, Mike's whole bit was how hard it was to have an average time. I'm not, look, it was fun. We actually went on a really fun weekend. We went to a bunch of parties because of the NBA All-Star game. You know, the snow on the mounds looked pretty. We went bobsledding, something I've never even thought I'd want to do. So it was a really cool week. I'm not going to, like, like the reason I think it's easy to criticize Salt Lake is because, you know, like when you ask people, what do we eat here? Because most places have a thing to eat. And this place, there's not really anything that's known. For, like So it's like the, 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 the food wasn't, there's not exactly a great food scene. Yeah. Our hotel wasn't in the best location, so we had to take like 20-minute Ubers everywhere. So like these things aren't Salt Lake's fault. Like yeah. if you want to go skiing, Park City's was very aesthetically pleasing. So I don't want to, I feel bad coming on here and just shitting on Salt Lake City. Like is it a city that I'd want to live in? Probably not, but I had a nice time. It was nice to be in some cold weather for a few days. And yeah, it was cool. It is interesting, your point about wanting to be in cold weather. When you're in Miami all the time, it's nice to have something different. Here yeah. in the Northeast, we haven't had snow once. Like, it's shocking. Mid-February, we had, like, literally a dusting, and that's been it. So, at this point, I'm with you. Like, I liked going to Montreal last month and seeing yeah. some snow and being around cold weather. Um, and I've been to Park City, went to Sundance once with Ben Lines and company. So, I'm with you. I, it's it's aesthetically gorgeous. I mean, you get in Utah, yeah. like, oh, my God, those mountains are awesome. But I can see, listen, you guys are Miami guys. Miami is one of the great party cities ever. Like, Salt Lake is going to pale in comparison to Miami. And and that that video you're speaking of was just like there was these like women and guys they were doing this like corny dancing so we were just like <laughs> this is a funny video of like just panning around of like us just like appearing to be in hell like it was just yeah. like we were actually having a nice time there was a good band playing at that place that was probably the best meal we had of the the trip so it was like yeah. that like we totally were putting it on for that video like it wasn't as bad as we painted in that video it's a really good point about the food, though. You're right. Normally, wherever you go, like, hey, what's 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 what are you known for? What's the local cuisine? I would funeral know potatoes is. is the only thing, which is like some sort of like hash brown that they put cheese and like butter. I don't know. It was some sort of like side dish that's like a instead of mashed potatoes or French fries, you get funeral potatoes, and it's like this. I got it once. It was fine. It wasn't bad, but it was just like that seems to be one of the few things that's like we're known for that here, and apparently. I think maybe with Mormons, like when people, they call it funeral potatoes because like when people die, they serve this, I think. I don't know. I don't okay. know the rules, but oh my gosh. that was the most exciting culinary experience was funeral potatoes. Well, Barkley was mentioning on the broadcast, he's you know, obviously the heavy Mormon influencer. He's like, all these people are going to heaven. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. Goes, there's no we drinking, played that there's clip no partying, there's no strip clubs. There's like, these guys are all going to heaven. Like, we, we definitely know that. <laughs> <laughs> It's just an easy punching bag. Well, I don't like. I feel bad. Like, there's a few listeners that have been tweeting us, like, "Oh, I'm from there. Don't shit on." It. Like, I feel bad. Like, you know, it, everyone likes where they're from. Like, I'm not gonna. It's it's a correct. it's a fine place. It was actually it's really pretty. 
No, I'm with you. Listen, I went to Park City, again, to reiterate, the scenically, yeah. outstanding. And obviously, the movies were amazing that yeah. I got to see there. So I'm glad you and got... And I'm clean shaven. How do we... Yeah, that was also the video I saw. It was amazing seeing you. It's a little I bit jarring. Like, and my honest. chin is like, I realize uh, this chin has been covered for like 15 straight years. So it's like... I, I've yeah. developed my dad's face over the last, like, since I've last, like, <laughs> that was the first thing when I looked at my, my, in the mirror, I was like, oh my God, I see my dad's chin. And it was like, I saw my dad and it was like, and then like, yeah. you know, I've added some chins under my chin and it's just like, no, that's not true. Listen, your dad's a good looking guy. If you resemble I'm your dad, I'm just saying, I need to, I need, I, I need my beard back. I, I'm not, I, it's not terrible. Like I'm fine. Like I, I'm, it's manageable, no. but it's just, I, I need hair on this face. I need it back. Well, this thing, you've never had a thick beer and, and you're redhead. So right. it's not like it's not like it's a big noticeable thing. But I did notice. I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw the video. I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, Chris, clean shaven. It's, like yeah. I said, it's jarring. I, I look like, a, like a, too rednecky. I look like, I look like a guy that's going to go <laughs> hunting this weekend. <laughs> you look like a certain part of Florida. Like, you don't look like you're from the city. You're like, yeah, oh, I don't want like, to look discuss. like that. <laughs> Yeah, you got that squint in your eyes. All right, well, uh, Chris will grow his beard back and hopefully get things back to normal. Uh, speaking of back to normal, it's shocking to see what's happening with the BAFTA Awards. The British Academy Awards took place this weekend, and it's not a great precursor necessarily to the Oscars because, after all, is the Brits. Some things happen the same, some things don't, but this is the time for award season. So Oscar season is coming up March 12th. BAFTA Awards just took place next week. I'm going to have a review of the SAG Awards. The Screen Actors Guild Awards are taking place this Sunday. And the, the big award... That really stood to me was the fact that Austin Butler won Best Actor. So all along, we felt like it's a three-horse race. Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Man and Sharon, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, and Austin Butler. Butler won the Golden Globe. Brendan Fraser won the Critics' Choice. Um, Colin Farrell also won a Golden Globe. Of course, that splits into two separate categories. But maybe Butler's got a little momentum here. Maybe Elvis is going to win an Oscar. That's notable. Also notable was Best Film. Uh, best Picture right now for the Oscars, the frontrunner is Everything Everywhere All at Once. But the best film, according to the BAFTAs, was All Quiet on the Western Front. The German-language foreign film from Netflix wins Best Picture over the likes of Elvis, Tar, Banshees, and EEAA1. Uh, also, Best Actress goes to Kate Blanchett. That's interesting, because right now you feel like it's a race between her and Michelle Yeoh. Best British film was Banshees and Minas Sharon. Best Documentary, because I'm talking documentaries coming up a little bit later on, Navalny won. Unbelievable documentary, The Opponent of Vladimir Putin. That wins over All That Breathes, Fire of Love, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And Best Supporting Actress went to Carrie Condon for The Banshees of Inner Sharon. That's a notable win because you feel like that's a two-horse race. Her and Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, and Best Director also went to All Quiet on the Western Front. Edward Berger coming up with the victory there. So definitely a good weekend for them. And Best Supporting Actor goes to Barry Coggan for The Banshees of Inner Sharon. Again, the heavy favorite has been Ki Hui Kwan. So that's a big upset that he lost there. But Barry comes through there. Again, that's the British Academy Awards. And uh, we'll see if that has any sort of impact in the Academy Awards here. SAG Awards coming up Sunday. To the movies themselves, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, explore the quantum realm where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. It stars the always eminently likable Paul Rudd. Speaking of Utah, I met him one time, one time only, at Park City when I was there for Sundance. He had a film about Mo Berg, the, form, the famous baseball catcher turned spy. The movie was very underwhelming. He was in it, so was Paul Giamatti. Now, I adore Paul Giamatti. So Lyons and I are there. And I see Paul Giamatti walk out for a second. Looks a lot paler than I thought. Maybe it was just the snow. He's kind of talking to somebody else. Somebody else mentions to him, because I can overhear the conversation, something about Yale. And then Giamatti's like, yeah, he goes, yeah, it's cold. He's like, yeah, it's real cold. Yeah, yeah. And then as the assembled media is there, and I've got like my 
pathetic little microphone. Paul Giamatti walked the other way. So I'm like, he just skipped on all the media. I'm like, no, I'm, I literally flew across the country just to meet Paul Giamatti. And he's like, nope. He talks to me how cold Yale is, and he's out. No, he went that way. Now, Rudd did come over, and Rudd was great. And he knows Ben, of course. He sees Ben's face. He smiles. I'm like, hey, I ask a couple questions. He talks at the movie. The movie wasn't very good. But most notably, I said, Paul, I know you're a huge baseball guy. He's like, yep. I know you're a huge Kansas City Royals fan. He's like, oh, man, 85, my, my year. And I was like, just please tell me your favorite Kansas City Royal. And he said, without hesitation, Willie Wilson. So every time I see Paul Rudd, I just picture Willie Wilson just slapping the ball the opposite field, stealing some bases. And he's a very likable guy, both in person and on camera. And that's always a welcome sight when you see Ant-Man. I mean, the cast is very good. You got Paul Rudd starting out the film. They got Welcome Back Cotter playing. He's just walking the streets. People are smiling and winking at him. Evangeline Lilly, two heavyweight actors in Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. More Michael Douglas and War of the Roses a little bit later on. Jonathan Majors playing Kang the Conqueror. Majors is having quite a moment right now. He's appearing in a lot more films. And I wasn't sure if he'd be credited, so I didn't want to spoil it, but he is in the credits. So Bill Murray does indeed make a cameo as Lord Cryler. I mean, you could always use a little more Bill Murray, but I was happy to see him at least show up for a cameo. But this is yet another Marvel film which doesn't feel particularly inspired. It's a retread. I mean, we're now in our third Ant-Man, so you're not really expecting much more as far as inspiration is concerned. Uh, I thought the special effects were decent. Um, you know, it certainly held my attention, but it wasn't anything notable. I don't think it's a surprise. It's at 47% right now, Rotten Tomatoes. I think everyone just kind of feels like, all right. The first one was 2015. It's kind of feel like a while now, these Ant-Man movies. But um, like I so said, the blurb was thrills, right. Some he was bored writing this. The blurb was right. <laughs> the good news is it was only two hours. I mean, it's kind of kind of in line with like Thor, Love, and Thunder, which was also a disappointment. It had another sequel, but it wasn't too long at least. But the blurb was accurate. It, listen, good news if you want to go to the movies. $104 million at the box office. That's great news for movie theaters. A film like this is going to draw people in. But it wasn't something that was particularly memorable. Didn't hate it either. I'd give it two Maple Leafs. I thought it was a, a decent time waster. Donald Clark of Irish Times. Imagine a Roger Corman film made with the combined budgets of every Roger Corman film. You were halfway there. That's a great reference. Roger Corman, of course, the great uh, independent filmmaker. So many years ago, guys like Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese got their start with Roger Corman, who would make films as cheaply as possible, but have a lot of violence and action in them. So that props to Donald Clark on a pretty good blurb there. Um, ultimately, though, it's, um, it's a pretty average movie. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania, currently in theaters. A couple documentaries. By the way, I didn't mention our wild card. Wild card is 15 movies to look forward to this year. Because now we're at the point, I feel like a lot of people have seen their Oscar movies. They're aware of those films, or at least working their way through it with a month until the Oscars. So I'm going to let you know some movies you should look forward to for the rest of this year. As we can all agree, last year was not a particularly strong year for film. However, the documentaries, they did bring it. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed follows the life of artist Nan Golden and the downfall of the Sackler family, the pharmaceutical dynasty, who was greatly responsible for the opioid epidemic's unfathomable death toll. I spoke recently about Michael Keaton in Clean and Sober, which is a film in which he played an alcoholic and a drug addict. I know it was a good bookend with Dope Sick. Dope Sick was a limited series about the Sacklers and the opioid epidemic. Michael Stuhlberg, brilliant, playing one of the Sacklers, who is just so villainous and so cunning. So if you've seen those works, particularly Dope Sick, you'll appreciate all the beauty of the bloodshed and where this film takes place. It's a really good documentary because it it deals with two halves. One is the half of the artist Nan Golden and her upbringing, which is really interesting. She's a woman who kind of dealt with repressed family and was worried about her sister who had her own challenges growing up and did a lot of experimenting with drugs and with abusive boyfriends and the music scene of the 70s. So her life just on its own is very interesting. And then the Sackler family stuff is very interesting because 
as with most documentaries, you can never start in the past. Like every documentary starts present day and then it goes back to tell the story. At least the best ones, I think. So this one, present day, is they're trying to bring down the Sackler family. Like these people who are rich beyond rich and have their names in all these famous art galleries because they're art collectors. You know, her and this group of insurgents are trying to take down the Sackler and just say, listen, you got to take down that name. What these, what these people are responsible for, OxyContin, has led to the death of just horrible amounts of Americans. And you see people talking with great passion. Mothers saying, my son broke his arm. He went to the doctor. He was prescribed OxyContin. He was told to take it no matter what. It's going to help him. Uh, he developed, obviously, a tolerance for it. Then all of a sudden, it wasn't enough for him. He got hooked on it, and now he's dead. And the Sacklers have received no recriminations for this. They have received, as I said, rich beyond rich. And we just have all these people who have died because of OxyContin. I, I thought it was interesting because, as I said, it's two documentaries. It's showing the personal life and also the professional yeah, life right. of Nan Golden. The personal life stuff is terrible. I mean, at one point, she talks about finding love. And, and here's another thing I loved about it. As a, as a documentary, you never see any talking head. It, all the talking head stuff, it's all narration. And it's because she's an artist and a photographer, you've got all these pictures. So she could do like a five-minute soliloquy of what it's like growing up in New York and the music scene and all the drugs that were taking place. And they've got a hundred pictures that they can use just to, to lay over all that voice track. So it's, it's awesome to see the way that they used all of that. It, it really is impressive uh, as a documentary as far as storytelling device. But you come away from it like really feeling great um, empathy for anybody who's been hooked on these drugs, and particularly for Nan Golden. Like, she's a real survivor, obviously somebody very talented. Like, her, her pictures early on was just a lot of, like, you know, nude pictures and stuff, and she was disowned by her family, and her father was, like, criticizing her, and even, even artistic people were criticizing her and her intent, but she clearly knew what she was doing and was passionate about it and uh, ended up dating a guy at one point, serious relationship. She says, because we had great sex, which is really important, keeping our relationship together. But then things turned abusive. She went out with another woman or something. And this guy just went nuts. And like, when you hear this voiceover, it's just chilling. She's like, he punched me in the face, punched me in the face repeatedly. Um, he's like, you know, literally, and you see the pictures, like the scars and the, the, the black eyes on her face. She says, he wrote like in red lipstick all over their apartment, bitch, like just a horrible person. She goes, it was a real reminder how somebody who looked like he could be such a saint could end up being a sinner. Like this guy's just being a vicious, abusive boyfriend. So Nan Golden ends up being a real survivor, someone you can root behind. If you look at the odds right now, that's the favorite to win the Oscar for best documentary. And having seen it, I can see why. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, I'm giving it three and a half Maple Leafs. It's directed by Laura Poitras, who previously won an Oscar for Citizen Four. I believe the only two filmmakers to win for best documentary I think Laura Poitras, if she wins, and also Barbara Koppel, I think those are the only two that would win for Best Documentary as far as the Academy Award is concerned in that same category. So right now, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is the favorite. We'll see if it indeed comes through as the winner. And the good news is this, not to spoil, because I've watched Dopesick now, and I'm like, God, these Sacklers are just scumbags. So the good news is, at the end of the film, they did have their names taken off. So props to Nan Golden and company. These guys aren't in prison. They're not paying financial penalties for all the deaths of these people because of OxyContin. But... They did have their names removed from like some of these famous art galleries in New York City and I think around the world. I mean, you can, you can Google it and look it up. But at least people I think now know the Sacklers are not all the good that people may have thought they were initially. Uh, a couple blurbs here for you. Ty Burr, a vibrant, uncompromising documentary. Adam Naiman of The Ringer, whether speaking, seething, or vaping, Golden is a uniquely compelling heroine. Amen to that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. One more documentary, then we'll get to War of the Roses. A house made of splinters. Children and staff in a special kind of home, an institution for children who have been removed from their homes while awaiting court custody decisions. Staff do their best to make the time children have their safe and supportive. They won't, this one will hit right in the heartstrings, man. This is, a, this is a sad, sad story. It's directed by Simon Lorraine Wilmot, but it makes you think of just how sad it is when children come from broken homes and what big hearts people have who are foster parents. I mean, this story takes place, we've been talking a lot about Ukraine, I'm sure, in the news, and everyone's understanding what's happening here, but this doesn't feel like a story unique to Ukraine and Russia. This feels like a universal story. These kids grow up in broken homes, and oftentimes alcoholism plays a really big part in the downfall of the family construct because it's not a safe enough situation for the children. They go to these foster homes, but this is almost like a hospital getting you ready for a foster home. So imagine that the two-step process, one, you're rescued from your home where it's not safe. Hopefully your parent is gonna get some substance abuse treatment or whatever treatment they need, but that's no guarantee. You wait in this hospital slash home for an indeterminate amount of time until you get another family who's gonna pick you up and sponsor you and take care of you. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough movie to watch. I found it very emotional and, and very sad, but very moving. And I, again, I'm impressed by the perseverance of the children. I'm impressed by the generosity of the families, of all the workers there. And uh, I wholly support the fact it was nominated for the Best Documentary Award. I really enjoyed watching it. Short film as well, 90 minutes, get in, get out. A House Made of Splinters is an excellent documentary, and as I said, worthy of that nomination. Robert Daniels of RogerEbert.com. A House Made of Splinters nourishes hope in an at-times hopeless war. Thomas Laffley of Harper's Bazaar, with a camera that feels both urgent and unassuming. Wilmot proves he's unambiguously earned the trust of his tiny subjects of colossal worries, a feat on so many different levels that concerns both outstanding filmmaking and exemplary humanism. And Dan Feinberg of Hollywood Reporter, even if a house made of splinters can't completely decide if it wants to tell a story or the repetition of devastation and the ephemeral uplift is enough, the faces here linger long after the movie ends. Go check out A House Made of Splinters. It's in theaters this Friday. I'm hopefully it'll be streaming shortly after that. That brings us to The War of the Roses, our old movie this week. A married couple trying everything to drive each other out of the house in a vicious divorce battle. Hadn't seen it in a long time, but in honor of Valentine's Day, I figured I'd check it out. Hadn't seen it. I remember enjoying it as a kid. Danny DeVito playing the narrator. He's an attorney who specializes in divorce. Guy comes to him looking to split with his wife. He goes, let me tell you a story first. A cautionary tale of why you should be careful when it comes to divorce. It stars Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. I'm on a bit of a Kathleen Turner kick right now. Next week, I'm going to review with our friend Scott Rogowski. Uh, great, great film, Body Heat, which came out back in 1981. But her and Douglas, good friends uh, from those films they made in the 80s together. And do seem like a happy married couple until one day Michael Douglas has like a panic attack. 
He thinks it's a heart attack. It's a panic attack. Goes there, gets some meds, comes home. Wife didn't go to the hospital to go see him. Kathleen Turner, Barbara Ross, Barbara Rose, excuse me, couldn't be bothered to go visit him. And at first she kind of apologized and says, well, you know, the hospital said you were fine. Like, you know, it wasn't a big deal. And then later on, while he's asleep, she wakes him up. She goes, no, the honest truth is that uh, I didn't care if you lived or died. I actually wanted you to die. What? Yeah, I, I want a divorce. Can't stand you. Hate you. Let's get going. And then the movie really kind of goes into the next level. Because the first act is, you can see some, some cracks here in the relationship. You see how they first meet, which is sweet and cute. But after that, you see the problems. And then the movie turns absolutely vicious. Cody hasn't finished it yet, but what I think I most appreciate about this film is, as I said, a truly black comedy, acidic wit, dark, mean-spirited. Like, this is a vicious movie in many ways. It was a weird one, man. And I, I, I should have watched all of it because I could tell we were building up to something. Like, I... It was very slow at the beginning. I was just like, why or what, what are we getting to? And then I finally realized, I was like, okay, they're trying, like they want to get divorced. <laughs> it's like Danny DeVito showing up with this extremely tall woman and then like the foot, like what was, can we just talk about this? Because this is all. Well, hang on. First, I will agree with you. It is slow paced at first because I had the same thought as you. I remember as a kid and I saw it when I was like 13. I'm like, oh, this movie's great. It's funny. It's dark. And again, while rewatching it. I got through the first 2025 and I punted. I'm like, oh, this movie's kind of boring. I'm like, I don't know why I liked it as a kid, whatever. And then I went back to it and it did start to pick up steam once they get to the divorce because then it just gets bananas. Like, she, she like ruins the guy's car. He pisses on the fish she's making for guests. Like, there's some outlandish At the beginning, scenes you're here. just kind of like, they, they, they move along in, they go from like dating to married to three. Like, they're like, jump, they're making big jumps and it's just like, okay, married, married, hate each yeah. other, quick. It's just like, there's no real explanation. Like, it's just like, there's not like, they don't do yes. a great job of like setting up the story. It's more just like marriage. Yeah. hate each other lawyer and it's just like okay this is where we're at but it, i could see we were getting somewhere but like I, all i can think about in that scene is the dinner table they're at a dinner party there's a clear <laughs> dinner table and danny devito's date reaches her foot across underneath the table like you know i think she i thought she was trying to do a little something to him but really then he like rips open her stocking and she starts like while he's eating like he's going like from her massaging her foot to grabbing a green bean with his hand and like using his hands to eat. And it's just like, I was like, I don't know why this scene is in this movie, but it's funny. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things I appreciate about your texting. Sometimes it pisses me off because you will yeah. not get back to me. And like, you'll text me and it's just, you're, you're, it's just nothing. Like I'm giving you props sometimes. You didn't respond. I'm going to look, I'm going to find the text. I text you, you just didn't respond. Okay. But what I do like about your texting is you'll text me things out of context, which I do appreciate. I think that's very funny because I've started doing that with Instagram now. I'm like, I'll just post yeah. it. Like, what the hell is that? I'm like, I'll just put without explanation. I love like, yeah, that you didn't know which like, movie know, I was talking about. No, you just texted me last night, 931, foot massage under a see-through table. And I go... I think he's doing his thing where he's rep like it's in, maybe it's in Tulsa King. So I said, Pulp Fiction reference? Did I forget the scene in Tulsa King? War of the Roses. I'm like, all right, good. We're good for tomorrow. Cody's in his research. We're good to go. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that DeVito's with this very attractive woman, that, I'm with you on that. That's an example of like, I'm the director. I'm going to give myself let's this, cast like, this five, let's cast nine statuesque woman. Hmm. Yep, she'll work. <laughs> but I'm telling you, DeVito's directing is unbelievable. Like you, you've got to get through the whole film because you you weren't crazy about Throw Mama from the Train, but I liked DeVito's directing yeah. in that movie because it was a lot of homages to like uh, you know Hitchcock, obviously with that movie. But I'm telling you, the more you watch, 85 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The general blurb is this: The War of the Roses is a black comedy made even funnier by hanging on to its caustic convictions and further distinguished by Danny DeVito's stylish direction. And how about this? Like Michael Douglas, you've seen these kind of roles, greedy, a little bit sexist, you know, mean-spirited at times. But Kathleen Turner, like back in the day, va, 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 voom. Like this predates yeah. you and me. This is 1990. You're talking like 80s Kathleen Turner. 
she was like a formidable vixen. Did you find that at all odd when you're watching the film going, hey, Kathleen, if you tell your dad, Kathleen Turner, I'm like, oh, Kathleen Turner back in the day. Because if you see her now, to be polite, she doesn't look exactly I the mean, same. I mean, I, I could see it in its time, in her time, though. Like, I could see, you know, Michael Douglas also had a weird look. Maybe in the 80s, people just had odd looks. Like, I know it's like kind of like, you know, very millennial of me to like, just like, but it's just like, even Michael Douglas, like I was, because in the scene where she discovers him, she like sees him from across the room and she's like, oh, like you could just tell there's a moment where she's taking it back and I'm looking at him and I'm like, really? Like, I don't know. I just didn't, maybe I'm doing the thing. What did I do? It was with Billy Crystal. Like there's something about these 80s movie stars that it's just like, I don't buy it. Like, I mean, maybe Michael Douglas is like better looking than Billy Crystal. Not That's what I'm saying. You don't think Michael Douglas is a good looking guy? guy. I don't good know. Head the hair, the good fluffy voice, yeah. 80s style hair. Just, I don't know. This doesn't do much for me. And the fluffiness isn't with you. But do you think Kathy Turner attracted back then? If you were the same age, you'd be like, sure. oh, man. Or would you be like, yeah, I don't think you're really selling it better. I think, it, again, it's that 80s, that 80s sheen to it. They're yeah. like, yeah, I'm just, just not really a fan of it. Um, I don't want to ruin it now because Cody hasn't seen it. But the ending's you can ruin great. it. If you want to ruin it, ruin it. But it, it builds up. No, I'm not going to. I'll just say it builds up to some just some filthy nastiness. I mean, they, they definitely go all the way. As Roger Ebert blurbed, it's to the credit of DeVito and his co-stars. They were willing to go that far. But maybe it shows more courage than wisdom. Uh, another one here from Deson Thompson, Washington Post. A deliciously jaundiced perspective on matrimony. So if you're like anti-Valentine's Day, anti-love a week later, go check out The War of the Roses. It came out in 1989. Uh, I still enjoyed that film. Sean Astin, by the way, is in the movie. He's like 17 years old, playing a kid. It's kind of weird to see him all these years later uh, when you're mowing from Lord of the Rings and uh, Rudy and all the rest of it. So that's that. One more here for the wild card. As I said, the Oscar movies, I think you kind of know what it is. You know what, what, where it's at. So if you want to watch them, you're going to watch them. If you don't want to watch them, you're kind of tired of it. So I said, okay, here's what we'll do. How about 15 movies to look forward to in the coming year? As I've said before, this was not a strong year in 2022 as far as movies were concerned. So let's dive in to see what else the movies can bring us. At the top of the ledger, Killers of the Flower Moon, as Claire Atkins DM'd me yesterday. How about this? Killers of the Flower Moon has a three-hour and 20-minute runtime. I'm like, let's go. Like, Marty is not going to edit for anybody. And Mike Farron, who's really funny, he does a great job on MLB Network Radio. <laughs> he immediately tweeted, Martin Scorsese he needs a pitch clock more than Major League Baseball, <laughs> which is pretty, great pretty line. funny line. You have to I'll agree, though. Marty, I mean, it's too I long. Just, I, don't, I get it, Marty. No. You're an all-time great. You can make movies like no one else. But come on. Like, people don't want to watch a three-hour and 20-minute movie. Even you, Adnan. The most Marty of... No, no. Like, I, right? I'm all in. I'll agree and disagree. I'll disagree in that I don't care if it's six hours. Like, I want to watch it. It's Martin Scorsese. I'm in. I think The Irishman was the best film of the year. I'm not that guy going, The Irishman was too long. I think people need to watch it in the theater. The problem was it was on Netflix, and you watch 10 minutes, then you watch half an hour, then you a sandwich. You go, this is too long. It's too boring. If you watch it in the theater and once you're like, this is a great film, like Lawrence of Arabia, Titanic, et cetera. But I will agree with you on this. I do miss the days when you made a film <laughs> under two hours. Like, Taxi Drivers are my favorite movies ever. Hour 50. Main Street. And what would he say is the Taxi reason that two he's... hours. Raging and what would he said you think is the reason he's gone so much longer as he's gotten older? I'd say, Marty, even Goodfellas, which for you felt like a long movie, two hours, 20 minutes, two hours, 25. You're going an hour plus beyond. Why do you think he did? Like, what would you think, think? Like, obviously, you don't want to speak for him. But like, why do you think he's gotten so his movies have gotten longer over time? I think he's got so much to say and there's not much time left, quite frankly. Yeah. Right. He was born in 1942. The guy's 80 years old. So he's like, you know what? I don't have much time left. I don't want to incorporate this scene and that scene. And, and when you get older, it's harder to edit. It's like the great Mark Twain line, right? I'm sorry I wrote you. This is a long letter. I didn't have time yeah. to, to edit it down. 
Like, there's, there's magic in the editing. It's like our buddy, the best documentary short, Stranger at the Gate. He goes, listen, I think 20 movies are too long. I think it's better if it's shorter. Leave them wanting more. But I think for Scorsese, he's like, no, this is such good stuff. I, I can't yeah. possibly trim this. And sometimes you're like, you know what? Maybe you should. But we'll see. It's at the top of the list for this year, like I said. It's going to be coming out, I believe, at the Cannes Film Festival. It's going to be premiering the film, not in competition, not for opening night. But they just want to have, in case you're unaware, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro and Marty together. I don't like to do this, but then I can't help myself. I ruined it with um, Shutter Island because I heard Marty and Leo were doing it. So then I read the book, and I was like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Because then I watched it, and I already knew it was going to happen. But I just can't help myself. So same thing. I read the book, and the book is awesome. Uh, it's called Flower Moon, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's set in the West in the 1920s. It's based on a book by David Graham. The story concerns the real-life murders of Native Americans in Oklahoma when their land is discovered to be sitting on oil fields. So I, I don't like that I did it because yeah. now I know what happens, but, but I do like it because while reading it, DiCaprio was supposed to play the hero. De Niro was going to play the villain. Apparently, Leo very early on goes, no, 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 no. I want to play the bad guy. I don't want to play the good guy. And they're like, oh, we got to kind of rework things. So De Niro's role became smaller DiCaprio's role became beefed up. They rewrote it, and the lead is now Jesse Plemons, who talked about hitting a hail mary. I mean, this guy. How do you think De Niro felt about that switch? Well, I don't know how much actual screen time Jesse Plemons. So, but my understanding is that when Leo read it, he's like, "I'm not playing the good guy. Like, I don't play good guy. I'm playing a bad guy." Oh, I like Jesse Plemons. So I think kind of. Yeah, he's. Are you kidding? He he hit the lottery because Leo didn't want to play the lead. They're like, "Great, Plemons is like, I'm in." A poor man's Philip Seymour Hoffman now gets the lead. Leo's the villain. De Niro also villainous. He's in that camp. But bottom line is it's, it's intense work. And also back to the point about Marty in length, he's never made a Western before. He's 80 years old. This might be a three-hour, 20-minute Western. I've got to get all this in here. And, and three hours, 20 minutes, they also said this. Thelma Schoonmaker, she did, did like a two-and-a-half-hour final cut of the film, but can can't program such a long film. So there may be some issue as to what's going to happen as far as the length is concerned. By the way, Apple is the one who wrote the check for all this. They said it is going to have a theatrical run before it is streaming in every country, especially France. So I believe it's a deal they have with Paramount. I think Paramount's going to distribute it in theaters, and then Apple is going to have it streamed. Did you see the Black Mirror okay. episode uh, with Jesse Plemons? Did you see Black Mirror? I haven't. I love him for Breaking Bad. But oh, Black Mirror is one of those Mirror. shows where it's like every episode was its own it's an anthology, it was like each right? episode was its own thing, like had nothing to do. It, they're all individual right. things. And just this, this one episode where Jesse it, Plemons is in it, it's a great episode of television. I recommend that. Yeah, you got to check really? it out. Black Mirror, the Jesse hour Plemons. Long, yeah, right? yeah, one hour. Just really interesting and different. And you got to check it out. Let me jot this down. You're going to see I'm actually jotting this down. I bet I, I need something yeah. to watch this week. So Jesse Plemons, It's like well, I don't Mirror, know which episode exactly it is, but just look up the episode he's in because he's only in one of them. Done. Yeah. This is good. I like it. Black Mirror, cool. Jesse Plemons. That's good. All right. Uh, so obviously, Killers of the Flower Moon, I can't wait. No distribution yet, but it's probably going to be the Cannes Film Festival in May, and it'll come out after that. That's the number one film I'm looking forward to this year. But I've got 14 other movies you can look forward to, and I'm sure a bunch of you are already talking about Magic Mike's Last Dance. Yeah, I skipped that one. I, I wasn't interested in seeing that. But here's a few others for you as well. If you're a Willem Dafoe fan, I can't wait for this. The movie is called Inside. Mercurial actor is the whole show as an art thief trapped in a high-rise apartment for weeks while he loses his marbles. Whole movies, Willem Dafoe, that's what it's called, Inside. That's in theaters March 10th. By the way, next week, I will be reviewing the film a lot of people have been tweeting me about. It's in theaters this Friday, Cocaine Bear. Oh, I gotta watch that Cocaine too. You know Bear. what? I know I say this all the time. I gotta go see that. I gotta review that. Yeah, because you don't go to the theaters, but you're gonna go see the theaters for this movie. I, I need to review that with okay. you. I can't, I cannot see that. <laughs> For, for those unaware, Elizabeth Banks directs a horror comedy based very loosely on a 1985 incident in which a black bear ingested 75 pounds of cocaine. 
The real bear died. The movie bear kills people. <laughs> That's next week on Cinephile. We'll see how that goes. Another one for you. Mafia Mama. Invaluable Tony Collette plays an American woman called back to her late grandfather's Italian village, where his dying wish is that she take over the family crime business. This looks very silly. It's coming on April 14th. We'll see. By the way, before you keep uh, going, my kids. wife has a girls' night plan to go watch Magic Mike. So how do I? How should I feel about that? Jeez, oh, I mean, the big thing is this: when she comes back and she's feeling a little bit randy, yeah. go, you know, I'm good, because she's she's just picturing Chan. Chan the time when you let that I'm sentence with the big thing, I was like, what are you talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Eddie. laughs> it, it, it it'd be like you and me going to see like uh, I, don't know, I know, like, like, like men don't do it. that. Like, 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 it's not like, like, no. I didn't go watch strip tease with like seven of my friends. Like, why do women do this? <laughs> Let's go see showgirls. Yeah. But you're right. Your wife and like 10 other women are going to go see Magic Mike's Last Dance. Just, just gazing at you. I mean, I can't Tatum blame him. Muscle I mean, he's great looking. He is. And apparently he can dance well. And you got Sama Hack as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's something for, uh, something for everybody. Next up, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Now, this is, of course, superhero I can get behind. I love this animated movie, and they got the sequel now. At the end of the day, the animated, antic, endlessly inventive 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse may be the only Marvel movie really worth the damn. That's from Ty Burr. The sequel adds more alternate universes. I'm looking forward to that. Daniel Kaluuya is playing Spider-Punk. That's in theaters on June 2nd. Next up, Asteroid City. Wes Anderson. Love him or hate him. How about this cast, though? Tilda Swinton, Jason Schwartzman, Adrian Brody, and now some big heavy hitters. Tom Hanks, Margot Robbie, Steve Carell, Oscar-nominated Hong Chow for The Whale. He also has a Roald Dahl adaptation. Asteroid City is coming out June 16th. Something I can see Chris Cody and family into. Indiana Jones, Dial of Destiny. 80 years of age, Harrison Ford is two decades older than Sean Connery was when he played Indiana Jones' dad in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. But he's back. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen co-star, James Mangold directing, love him, love Logan. Producer Steven Spielberg is producing. That is June. If Indiana Jones isn't running from a boulder at Hollywood Studios, I don't want to watch it. That's the only Indiana Jones I like. Give me the Hollywood Studios ride where that guy with the Hawaiian shirt that's clearly planted runs up there. Give me all of it. I know know every step of that show, but I want to watch it every time. It's the only Indiana Jones I'm interested in. Something of a boulder and a man running with a bullwhip is, is magical. One more for you. This one, is, I don't know what the hell is going to happen. Barbie. Director Greta Gerwig. Margot Robbie starring as Barbie. Ryan Gosling is playing Ken. Issa Rae Kingsley Benadir is Black Barbie and Ken. And Hari Neff, I believe, is Trans Barbie. July 21st. There's a lot of buzz around this movie, but I don't know if Barbie is going to be a huge I'm going to go out with bomb. a bold take. It's going to be terrible. I saw the preview, and it was just one of those ones wow. that was like, they give so little away, they just kind of tease it. Like, there's no, like, I need to see a preview that gives me a feel for what it's going to be because it's, uh, uh, not, no, not for me, Clive. Skeptical on Barbie. Oppenheimer can't wait. This is in the second film I'm most looking forward to seeing. Christopher Nolan movie. You know, it's a heavyweight event. Killian Murphy from Peaky Blinders playing the father of the atomic bomb. Comes out July 21st. Here's your cast. Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, Kenneth Branagh, Rami Malek. Sign me up. I hear Christopher Nolan. I'm in. Oh, this Killian Murphy guy, too. He's just got to look to him. Creepy looking, right? He's, he fits Christopher Nolan. Like, like if you say to me, Christopher Nolan, you need an actor. Like, that's the guy. Like, I just picture it. Like, that's just, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's a reason you're right. He's worked with them before. Uh, here's a few others. You don't have the uh, exact day when they're coming out. They don't release date. But these look good. Ferrari. Michael Mann directing a biopic of Italian car manufacturer Enzo Ferrari. Adam Driver 
is playing the lead. Penelope Cruz, Shailene Woodley co-star. Been a while since Michael Mann's made a great movie. Not going to lie to you. He's been on a cold streak. Be nice to see him get another hit. Adam Driver, obviously a good actor. Ferrari, looking forward to that. This is my number three movie I'm most looking forward to this year. It's called The Holdovers. You know how much I love Sideways. Alexander Payne, director and actor Paul Giamatti, oh. they're back. The new film has Giamatti playing a prickly private school teacher who is marooned on campus over the holidays. This was a late addition to the Toronto Film Festival in September. People marooned were marooned on away, campus. So it was Can you, what does that so mean? I stuck on campus. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I know. I knew it meant, but for the people in our audience that didn't, I just wanted to. No, you're right. I talked fast. One and a half times. Like, marooned. <laughs> you got harpooned? Like what? Um, this is one that sounds awfully dark. The Killer. Director David Fincher returns to scenes of crime, an adaptation of a graphic novel about a hitman hmm. gaining a conscience and losing his grip on reality. Who plays the hitman? Michael Fassbender. Great actor. Fassbender, David Fincher, sign me up. Um, Master Gardener, I can't wait. That's because it's Paul Schrader. Latest obsessive drama about an obsessive anti-hero from the ever-obsessive Paul Schrader, first reformed. Joel Edgerton plays a repressed horticulturalist. With dark secrets his employer Sigourney Weaver doesn't know about. That's all I need to hear there. This is one that your crew of Mike Ryan and uh, Stu Gotts may be into because they like their action movies. Silent Night, Hong Kong's formalist master of mayhem, John Woo, hard-boiled, face-off. Hasn't been heard from in a while, but this is his latest movie, an action film about a vengeful, grieving father told without a word of dialogue. <laughs> could be great, or could be like, we could get some dialogue in this thing. What if he talks a little bit? No, he's not going to talk. The whole movie, there's no talking. Okay, no talking. A um, couple beer here for you. This one is just just unbelievable title. On the title of its own, it's called Night Bitch. And the story is this. A stay-at-home mom worries that she may be turning into a dog. <laughs> I'm going to repeat that. A stay-at-home mom worries that she may be turning into a dog. <laughs> and Amy Adams is the star of the movie. Like that. Wow, Amy Adams is in. Mariel Heller is the director, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's an adaptation of Rachel Yoder's 2021 Yo, novel. Oh, that's the, honestly, bitch. you've intrigued me more than, like, that's what I'm most intrigued. Like, I was into the Nolan one. That one was the leader, but, I mean, that's, <laughs> I'm just intrigued. I want to just, like, I want to know the premise. Like, bitch. I got one more for you. This one's, this one just looks dark. Poor Things. A suicidal, abused wife, Emma Stone, is brought back to life with her brain replaced by that of her unborn child. In other words, another day at the office, the director, Yorgos Lanthimos, love him. The favorite, the lobster. You've also got Willem Dafoe wow. and Mark Ruffalo in the movie. That one seems things. interesting, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we can, we can sign Cody up for Oppenheimer, Night Bitch, and Poor Things. The way you set that up, there were so many things other than a child's brain, like, and she replaces it with, like, I was like, I would have never guessed what you said there. Like, there, you could have given me a million guesses. <laughs> Her brain's out, a child's brain. I'm like, okay, it's kind of like big. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly like big, but maybe something like that. Those are movies to look forward to coming up. Um, as I mentioned next week, Cocaine Bear. Cody and I are both going to watch it, and my buddy Scott Rogalski is going to be on the podcast. He's got a new documentary, which I just watched. They sent me the link to it. It's amazing. It's basically the Scott Rogalski show. It's hysterical. It's going to be on CNN. It's premiering on CNN. It's from CNN Films. It's going to be out on Sunday, March 5th at 9 o'clock Eastern. So he's going to join us next week to talk about it. It's all about HQ trivia, the rise, the fall, and Scott is the featured man because he was the lead host. So it's really funny and really well done, and Rag's going to tell us all about that. So look forward to that next time here on Cinephile. As always, appreciate the support, and I'll see you at the movies. Mm -hmm.